Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap, United States Men's National Team World Cup Edition. Uh, and this will be our last World Cup Edition episode as the United States fell 3-1 to the Netherlands in a game that they were thoroughly outplayed in. They conceded early. Uh, they gave up multiple goals. Uh, the defense was lacking. And the goal that they did score was more luck than skill. Uh, but other than that, uh, not many complaints. Um, the United States are out in the round of 16, just like they were in 2014 and 2010. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Tanner Bello. Tanner, how's it going? You know, this morning I woke up with optimism, and uh, now I'm feeling a lot of regret. <laughs> <laughs> it's the hope that kills you, uh, as as they say in Ted Lasso. And I got to say, we'll get to our key takeaways in a minute, but I really kind of talked myself into this being a stalemate tight game where, you know, the U.S. plays like they did in the group stage. They play tight. They don't give many chances. I kind of pictured something similar to England. They try to get this to extra time. Uh, and then they try to just get that one extra goal. Maybe not. Maybe they don't force extra time, but they get that one goal and they just play defensively sound. And that unraveled really, really quickly um, in within 10 minutes. Uh, and I, I feel like Netherlands, you know, had control of that game the whole way. So really ugly game start to finish. Um, what, what was your key takeaway today, to, uh, Tanner? My key takeaway was that the issues that have played the United States and the lack of a true number nine continued to plague them, right? They just were never able to figure out that position, whether it be in World Cup qualifying or whatever matches since Greg Berhalter essentially took over the team. And it really came to bite them in this match, I felt like. I felt like you really needed that true number nine. Obviously, Jesus Ferrer started, um, but then he came off at halftime. They brought in uh, Gio Rana, who's a midfielder, and they didn't have a true forward on the field again until the 67th minute when they brought in Haji Wright. Um, so I just think the lack of a true number nine, and obviously Josh Sargent wasn't available, but I really think that ultimately was the downfall of this team and probably one of the reasons why they struggled to score consistently. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a bad offensive team. I think we kind of saw that throughout the group stages that they weren't making the most of their chances and the chances were few and far between. Um, they also weren't good on set pieces. Uh, we talked about that all throughout the group stage. They weren't good on set pieces today. Um, as I say, the goal they did score, I, I don't really understand how it went in. Um, uh, and a few minutes before that, Haji Wright had a golden opportunity where there was a, a horrific back pass and he really just had to kind of go around the keeper and tap it in. Um, and his first touch was so bad that it kind of screwed up the chance. Um, th there were a lot of decent half chances, but really no offensive flow. Um, and, and I think the, the Dutch knew that. I think the Dutch were kind of sitting back, letting the United States try to break them down, knowing that they couldn't. And the lack of a really solid number nine goal scoring forward, uh, I think the Dutch played it perfectly. And you're right. I think that fatal flaw really, really was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And it's worth noting that, you know, the, the players that Greg brought, I almost said Bruce, but the players that Greg brought, you're right. Haji Wright had a bad World Cup. Uh, Jesus Ferreira, I know he only got 45 minutes, so it's a small sample, but he was very ineffective. Um, having Sargent out 
was not a great choice. And it would have been nice to have Ricardo Pepe today. That's what I think. So um, overall, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, this was a bad offensive team. And when you don't score goals, you, you can't really go deep into the tournament. No, and I think if you look at the, that third-minute chance that Christian Pulisic had, that was ended up being a great save. If that had gone in, if they'd been able to score there, um, the entire complexity of the game would have probably changed. Obviously, Netherlands ended up scoring the 10th minute to take the 1-0 lead in the match. Uh, the United States had their chances in this match, right? Like, they had plenty of opportunities, like you said, right? Like, if he made a great first touch there, or even if he was a little bit early, he'd probably be in the back of the net. So they had their opportunities. It's just, it's that finishing blow right it's getting that quality chance and how many times do we see christian plissick in this match take a, a sort of a lazy shot from the top of the box that wasn't really testing the keeper um so i offensively this team has really struggled and i, I do think having a true number nine would have fixed a lot of their issues i, I just kind of have to put the blame on Berhalter here right like that that was his job to figure that out and the fact that he wasn't able to figure that out tells me that he's probably not the guy long term to coach this team yeah, and we'll, we'll foreshadowing a question I'm going to ask you later, Tanner, about his future with the United Men's National Team. But um, I, I just want to hop into my key takeaway real quick. And by the way, our key takeaway is brought to you by the Rebellion, our friends over at the Rebellion. Uh, now with the World Cup over, all eyes are turning to the Revs. And if you want to get involved more with supporter culture, go to anyrebellion.org. Uh, I, I do believe that 2023 season memberships for the Rebellion are now on sale. So make sure you check that out at nerebellion.org. Uh, my key takeaway today, uh, honestly, I think it's just that they conceded early. That was really the worst case scenario. Um, I think the New, Eng or, or, whew, New England, I'm going to do this all episode. I almost did this all episode last time. But um, the United States really needed a, a really strong defensive performance. They really needed to be disciplined. And within 10 minutes, we have... Uh, Tyler Adams kind of jogging back, not tracking his man, uh, Memphis, who, you know, scores, you know, wide open in the center of the box, uh, pretty undisciplined. That second goal too. the United States started to build a momentum. Then there was a counterattack. Serginio Dest at one point, I think he had his hands on his hips, uh, and reacts late to get over. That's another goal from the center of the box. And then the third goal, um, I mean, you couldn't get more wide open than that. The right back just kind of walks in and Robinson completely unaware, uh, to slide over and guard that man. Um, so really poor marking, really, really terrible at tracking your man. And defensively, um, by far, this was the worst performance from the United States. But um, even if they were able to scrounge up a couple of goals that they deserved, um, this just kind of struck me as a game where when the Dutch wanted to move up, uh, you know, they were very clinical. They were very they weren't challenged in getting into spaces. Um, this just seemed like a game where the Dutch were able to do whatever they wanted offensively. And even if this was closer, um, I, I feel like the Dutch at any time could just turn it on uh, and, and, you know, create chances out of, I don't want to say thin air, but um, create some, some well-earned chances. And, and really the United, <clears throat> the United States just wasn't disciplined enough. So um, my key takeaway is just really poor everywhere defensively. Uh, and, and I don't know, it's extremely disappointing uh, that this is the same team that was uh, in the group stage. Yeah, you know, the, the prior to this match, they hadn't conceded a goal in the run of play throughout the entire group stage. And they conceded three here. It was flat-footed, lazy defending, weren't tracking their man. Uh, maybe that's coaching. You know, I think it has to go back to Baralter there. Like, why weren't they up for it defensively? Because up until this point, they played very, very well defensively. Um, this was their largest loss in a world knockout match since 1934 in terms of margin of defeat um that happened to be a 7-1 defeat to italy 
so like this this was a bad loss for them um and, and especially that anthony robinson losing his man there and not tracking him that third goal i mean that was the blow right they, the united states had scored they'd made it a one goal game you know you have 10 minutes to go plus stoppage time like you had opportunity there and then you know you can see that goal and that's really the death blow right like they could not concede there and ended up doing it so i think it's going to be very disappointing for a team that really looked resolute defensively for the entire tournament and for some reason here when it mattered the most it kind of just fell apart for them um yeah yeah and and, i mean 10 minutes in it's one thing if you know you can blame tired legs or it's one thing if you have a defensive liability or if there's a miscommunication or something like that but if you look at the first goal you have your captain tyler adams just not marking a person you know if you watch that entire run of play memphis is you know Tyler Adams has him in front of him and he's able to get in behind Tyler Adams and, and Adams is just giving him three or four steps as he walks into the box and just converts a, a, a wide open shot. Um, just really poor and uncharacteristics from this United States team that, as you say, we, we did concede from open play in the, in the group stage. So um, real quick, just going to read off some uh, advanced stats here. Uh, these are according to FootMob, by the way. I know expected goals vary from place to place, but expected goals, the Netherlands had 1.77. The United States had 1.51. Uh, USA outshot the Netherlands 17 to 11. They outshot them on shots on target, 8 to 6. They had 11 shots in the box compared to the Netherlands 7. Um, it really just came down to making the most of your chances. And for the Dutch, it seemed really easy. And for the U.S., it seemed really hard. And I don't think there's a single person who watched this game that thinks that um, the United States weren't completely outclassed, outcoached. Um, every phase of the game, the Dutch were better. So um, very, very disappointing end to this World Cup for the United States. Yeah, and I think the game was there, though. Like, if you look at the opportunities for the United States and you look at their poor def- like defending, like those are easy things to correct, right? Um, so I think the game was there. I think... You know, it, it's not hard to imagine that you change a couple of things and, and you're right there with the Dutch, right? You'd make it a more competitive game because it. I was impressed by some things the United States said, right? I didn't think they were going to get as many chances as they did. But that being said, Dutch pretty much shut down. Like that goal, that right score, was kind of a fluke type of goal. Um, and they didn't get any quality shot, like in terms of, you know, real high-powered shot on that. Um, like a lot of their chances were kind of thwarted at the last second. So credit to the Netherlands. They were a good team. Um, you know, like you said, they pretty much outclassed the United States in every phase of the game here. Um, but you, you could see the talent in the United States. You could see that throughout the entire tournament that, you know, they belong to be there. And I think, you know, you can take some solace in that, right? You can, you can take away from this game that they're not that far away from being a team that's capable of winning the World Cup or at least making a serious run at it. Mm-hmm. And they have a good opportunity to second youngest team in the World Cup, uh, and they have already gotten out of the group stage. Um, they've played England and they played them really well. So there are some positives to come to take away from this World Cup as uh, they go into 2026, which will be played uh, on our, our home soil. So uh, in sort of a weird way, it's a bridge World Cup. Let's uh, put that kind of spin on it. Right. So, um, Tanner, uh, do you have any other positives you want to talk about? We've talked a lot about the negatives. Any positives you want to talk about in regards to the United States today? Not particularly, if I'm being honest with you. I don't. I think you know you can look at certain play of players. Like I think Tyler Adams again just proves why he's the captain of the team and proves why he's one of the better players. Um, I thought Adams was good, but as a whole, I wasn't entirely impressed with anyone on the roster today. 
Yeah, and I, I, I trash Adams for that first goal, too. It should be noted, he did have some pretty solid performance outside of that one play. Uh, 74 for 80 passing, that's 93%. He did create uh, two chances. Uh, he had 10 passes into the final third. Uh, so he, he did have a few good moments. He played pretty consistently. Just an uncharacteristic mistake there in the first half. Um, I'll give some credit to Matt Turner. I know his foot mob rating is 5.1, which is the worst uh, overall for the United States, and I believe in the game. Yep. It is in the game, uh, but he had a couple of really good saves. Uh, that double save kept the team in it. Uh, I believe that was in the 73rd minute. Uh, there was also a long range shot that he tipped over the bar in the 61st minute. Um, there, there was some pressure overall on Matt Turner. And when he was able to make a save, he did. Uh, I, I don't know if he could have saved any of those three. I think maybe the first one he could have dove for, um, and maybe he could have tipped it. But uh, for the most part, the chances that went in, um, he, he really didn't have much of a shot at. So uh, I thought Matt Turner had a phenomenal World Cup overall. Um, I, I thought he did what he could in this game. I think he was just left for dead. So um, if I had to name a positive, I'm, I'm going to give a shout-out to Matt Turner. Uh, and there's no bias behind that whatsoever. So, um Tanner, any negatives you want to go over uh, that we haven't touched on already? I'm sure we can go anywhere uh, on the field, uh, but uh, any other negatives you want to point out from the United States? I think this is more of an overall thing rather than the game itself. I think the lack of a number nine, going back to the selection process of who was chosen for this team, I think that appeared in this game once again, but I think it appeared throughout the entire tournament was the lack of a true number nine. And I think you can easily look at the selections that Berhalter made uh, there were six players on the roster that didn't even appear in a game, um, including uh, four outfield players, right? There was two other goalkeepers. They didn't play because Matt Turner played well, but there was four players that they had on the roster that did not play a minute. So I, I think it's very easy to look at Baralter's player selection and really question them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, no, no doubt about it. And I think that there's a lot of depth missing uh, from the this United States squad. So it'll be interesting to see... Um, how they build this towards 2026. Cause I imagine a lot of the players that start in this world cup will be back. Uh, and I imagine that there's going to be some new up and coming players that will be ready in four years. And the depth really was lacking. I know we had Gio Reyna and Aronson coming off the bench, but um, outside of that, not a lot, not a lot of impact uh, from the bench players, even Gio Reyna. I, I know he played 45 minutes today. Um, he, he had some moments, but I, I didn't think he was a particularly, you know, overall influential player. Um, he, he, you know, I, I, but I, I rule that as too little too late, I think, uh, in terms of getting him on. So, um, Tanner, let me ask you this. Now that we've seen this World Cup, the U.S. gets out of the group stage, which was, according to bookmakers, about a 50-50 chance. Um, and then they went and they played the round of 16 against the Netherlands, who were the favorites, who were the betting favorites, uh, to advance to the quarterfinals. Uh, so I think this result is kind of where... People could have expected it to. I don't want to say it was predictable, but if you go based on the odds, this is kind of one of the more likely scenarios for the United States. So overall, looking back on this World Cup, would you deem this a success? Yeah, I would deem it a success. I I think after you missed the last World Cup, the whole goal was to get back to the World Cup. And then once you got back to the World Cup, is putting yourself in the situation to get out of the group stage, which they did. And Certainly, they didn't do it with grace, right? It's not like they blew their group away, right? They were competitive in there. Um, and, and I think going against the Netherlands, coming out to a knockout stage, obviously, you have to play the games, right? Like, even though it's a favorite, anything could happen. But I think you just saw going up against a team as good as the Netherlands that the United States just isn't there yet. Um, 
So I think you can look at this World Cup and say, well, this was the expected outcome. They achieved that expectation, right? They didn't underachieve, they didn't overachieve. This is right where you expected them to be at. So part of that's a little disappointing, right? Because if you expected them to be in a situation and to lose in this situation, it's not exactly like they're way farther advanced than we thought, right? The United States, in my mind, is right where we all thought they were. Um, and part of that's a little disappointing because I was hoping they were maybe a step beyond or maybe get out of the first round of the knockout. But I think overall, they met expectations. I think that's a really, really good way to put it. I, I don't know if I want to rule this success, but I also wouldn't rule this as a failure. And I, I'll also say coming into this World Cup, I was really, really down on this team because as I think as it played out, we do this was a um, offensively challenged team. Uh, and there was not a ton of offensive weapons. Uh, you know, obviously the, the pre-World Cup friendlies against uh, Saudi Arabia and Japan that were draws, uh, which now look better in hindsight after seeing Saudi Arabia and Japan uh, <laughs> kind of perform above everyone's expectations. But uh, I think I was much more negative on this team coming in than I am now. So I guess in that way, it's a success. Um, but certainly, it seems like this team is still very flawed. Uh, and there's a lot of things that they got to get a lot better at. They got to get a lot better at offense. Uh, they got to get a lot better coaching-wise. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't deem it a success. I wouldn't deem it a failure. Uh, it is what it is. But um, I will say, really nice to get back into the knockout rounds. Uh, I, I think after the failure of 2018, uh, I think just the fact that they made it into the round of 16 and they were able to advance from the group, it kind of feels like the United States is kind of back on track to where they were back in 2014. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think this is right where they're supposed to be. Um, now the question is, that they do enough to put themselves in a position, right, to get the players' experience for the 2026, right? That they do enough to get players like Plissett, McKinney, uh, Gio Reyna, the, the players that are going to be here, right, for the next World Cup, that they give them enough opportunities. <clears throat> and one thing that kind of concerns me specifically about the future, and maybe what happened in this World Cup, was the age of the center back pairings, right, with Walker Zimmerman, Tim Ream. They're not going to be here in 26, right? The United States doesn't have young center backs. And I, th I think the center back depth is a real question going forward. They really need to figure that out the next couple of years. And what's their long-term solution there, right? Because Walker's and Mentem aren't going to be there in four years. Yeah, that's a very good point. Time for Henry Kessler to have his breakout season, I'd say. <clears throat> I will also point out one more thing, too. It's worth noting that looking around CONCACAF, Mexico is on the downslide. And if you look at the United States last year, uh, you know they won in Nations Cup or Nations League Cup, or whatever it's called. Uh, they won the Gold Cup. Uh, They're the furthest advancing CONCACAF team in the World Cup. Uh, so regionally, it's certainly an exciting time. Um, I don't know if that's a knock on everyone else in the region, uh, or if, uh, you know, if it's just the United States kind of regionally is getting better. Uh, but, the, you know, just a positive I take away that right now, the United States looks like the kings of CONCACAF. They do, but I think Mexico's taken a step back. And I think that was pretty evident, you know, in their World Cup run. And they weren't, Tata Matino wasn't really giving opportunities to younger players. Um, so I think Mexico took a huge step back, but I would expect Mexico in the next couple of years to take a step forward um, if they find the right coach. 
Yeah, really, I don't want to say it's really surprising, but Tata Martino not working out for Mexico was, um, I don't know, really surprised. I think when he took that job, I, I thought that was going to be an overall net positive for uh, Mexico, but he really did not work out there. So I'm curious to see where he heads off to next. Uh, I, I think overall, I, I think uh, if you ask fans of Mexico, they're going to say he was a, a pretty big failure overall. We want to take a minute to talk about our sponsor, Galasso Kits. With the United States out of the World Cup, you now need a new team to root for. And luckily, Galasso Kits have jerseys, jackets, and scarves from more than 80 countries in the world. Maybe you're hopping on the South Korea train. Maybe you're rooting for Japan because their fans clean up after games. Whoever you support, Galasso Kits will have kits and merchandise from the country you are now supporting. So go check out GalassoKits.com for their full selection. And make sure you follow them at Galasso Kits on Twitter and Galasso Kits on Instagram for updates on their new inventory every single week. And when you find something you like, use promo code REVSRECAP to save 15% off your order. That is promo code REVSRECAP at GalassoKits.com to save 15% off your order. Links and code are in the show notes. Uh, and speaking of managers who might be considered failures by their uh, <laughs> by their fan base, let's talk about Greg Berhalter. Um, I believe his contract is up uh, for the United States, so it's not even a matter of firing him or, or keeping him. It's a matter of whether or not you want to sign him to an extension. Uh, but my, my questions to you here, Tanner, is twofold. One, do you think that was Greg Berhalter's last game as manager? And two, do you think it should be his last game uh, as manager of the United States? I think his tenure has been interesting. Uh, with COVID, they weren't really able to play top teams uh, that they would typically have played. So they played a lot of CONCACAF teams. And while I think you know Canada is certainly up on the rise in CONCACAF, I think like we just talked about Mexico step back. So I think CONCACAF is relatively weak. Um in the United States, has probably the best talent pool they've ever had in terms of players. So Greg had a lot of players to choose from. I think if you look at his accomplishments and you see what he was able to do, I think you have to look at his tenure and say, well, he, he got his job done, right? They got back to the World Cup. Um, they had success in CONCACAF. So as a whole, I would say his tenure was successful. But that being said, I just don't think he is the guy long term. I don't think he is the guy that's going to get over the hump and you know push you through the knockout round and help coach a team to the world cup in terms of world cup final or even being competitive in for it. And I think if you just look at Baralta versus other coaches you see him play against, especially today against the Netherlands, it's just easy to see that, you know, maybe he's getting out coached. Look at the game against Wales. You know, that was a disappointing draw. That was a game that I felt he was out coached in game against England. I thought he was potentially out coaching as well. So I think every step of the way, even Iran, I thought, I think if you look at him versus his peers, he is just the lesser of the coaches. Like in almost every single matchup, I feel like coaching is holding them back, whether it be substitutions, whether it was player selection, um, formations. I just think he is holding this team back at this point. I just don't think he's the guy that's going to take them over the top, especially the fact that his background is Major League Soccer and the majority of his player pool is not Major League Soccer players. Like I think that's also a factor here. So really, really interested to see what the federation does going forward i just think bringing Bralter back is probably a mistake mm -hmm. do you do you think they will bring him back or do you think his time is done i think they could seriously bring him back uh, i think they could make that type of mistake because um, i think they probably look at this and making the world cup and getting to the knockout stage and what he's done as an accomplishment as an achievement that he did his job so I don't know if necessarily they're going to walk away from that. I just think if you're going to make the move, you do it now, right? You give another coach that opportunity for the next four years to build something real, to build, you know, find 
their next center backs, right, to find that true number nine. So I think the time to move on from him is now. I just I just don't think they're going to do it. I think it's going to take some type of failure in CONCACAF to actually get them to move on from Peralta after this. Mm-hmm. And I'll also add that Gio Reyna, we don't know his injury issues or whatever, but the fact that Eric Winalda is saying on Twitter spaces or whatever that he's healthy and there's some friction there, um, you know, it seems like there is some strife and some issues within the locker room. And when you have a 20-year-old Gio Reyna and the manager not seeing eye to eye, that's a problem. If you're, you know, now the focus is looking ahead to 2026. And if Gio Reyna and the manager don't like each other, that's a real problem. And I agree with you in everything you said there, Tanner, that if they hold Greg Berhalter, it strikes me as potentially a Jurgen Klinsmann situation where Klinsmann... You know, going into 2014, you know, I, I think a similar resume um, got to the knockout stages, um, but they held on to him and that was a mistake. Um, and it seemed like they made a move to Bruce Arena. I know Bruce gets all that flack, but Jurgen Klinsmann, you know, had a lot of failures kind of in World Cup qualifying um, in that second cycle. And in general, if you look at coaches that are withheld for a that are held on to for a second cycle, usually there's a dip. Usually there is a decline. Um, and and I, I think that in general... You should give coaches one World Cup cycle and then you move on to the next guy and let them build towards the next one. Um, so I, I think, Greg, in my mind, f- for me to want to hold him, he would have had to have done something very special. Um, I, I certainly think he would have need to have won this game. Um, so I, I, I think it's time to move on from him. I think he made a lot of questionable decisions with his roster selection uh, and tactically and with his subs. Um, but overall, you know, you, you look at his resume he won two cups last year. He made some some decisions in this World Cup that really proved to be the right move. Starting Tim Ream in all four games, I think if you asked most fans a couple of months ago about starting Tim Ream in the World Cup, that would have been a big question mark, and, and he turned out to be pretty solid. Um, starting Matt Turner, you know, I know everyone in New England thinks that, you know, that was the obvious choice, but outside of New England, it wasn't so much. And he gave Matt Turner a choice over the a chance over the past few years and ended up choosing him over Stefan. And I think that, you know, that was a, a big risk. And if Turner didn't have the performance he had, um, you know, there'd be a lot of people questioning that decision, but it turned out to be the right one. So Greg did make some good calls, um, but ultimately there's a lot of flaws in, I think, how he kind of went about this World Cup. And as you said, when you get to that higher level, when you get out of CONCACAF, when you get to the World Club, uh, Cup and you're going against other world-class managers, Greg doesn't measure up. So um, I think there's a lot of expectations going into 2026, and you need a world-class manager. Uh, and, and I don't think Greg Berhalter is a world-class manager. So uh, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, and I, I also think, too, I'm a little more negative than you. I, I don't think the United States brings him back because I think they are aware that uh, he, he has these deficiencies. And I just think the expectations for 2026 is so much higher than it was for 2022, 2018, 2014, 2010. I think having it at your, your, your home country, there's a lot more pressure. And I think um, we, we've seen enough flaws from Greg that even though he's – had a, a pretty solid track record, and you, you can say he was a success overall for the past four years. Um, he's not the guy to lead this team forward. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at three forwards on a 26-man roster, and, and that's certainly problematic, um, and it speaks to a lot of their issues. But uh, I think if you're the Federation, you might weigh the fact that Baralter didn't have the opportunity that coaches typically would have playing against top you know, European opponents or opponents of really – higher standard than CONCACAF, I think that really hindered him. Um, 
and his ability to see where his team was at versus the best teams in the world, right? Like really, they didn't have all those opportunities to do that, um, you know, due to COVID. So I think playing devil's advocate, I think that someone at the Federation might look at that and say, well, you know, Greg didn't get his full shot to actually see where his team is versus the rest of the world. So therefore, the opportunities he did add, he was successful in it. Um, so I think it's very easy to be hard on Peralta, and I think he made a lot of questionable decisions. A lot of it has to do with the roster and, you know, who he picked and who he didn't pick um, in, in his formation and everything. But I, I do think you can't take away from the fact that they didn't have all the opportunities they typically would have in friendlies, right? And I, and I think that really did hurt this team and seeing what worked and what didn't work against the best in the world. Yeah, that's it's very fair. I, I think you can make a really, really good argument that if you just look at the results, the Burhalter tenure was a success. I, I think you can make that argument. Uh, as I say, I just think there's a, a lot of flaws, and I, I hope they don't hold on to them a couple of years too long. And I'm also curious to see how much interest there is in the United States manager position if it becomes open. Um, I, I think a lot of people look at this team and look at a very young team making it to the knockout round and know they have home field advantage in 2026. And um, I wouldn't be shocked if there is a big name manager that is um, interested in, in coming and coaching the United States. So I I'm, I don't know, but I, I, I hope that there is a mutual parting. I, I hope it's uh thank you so much for the last four years and uh, best of luck and you know, I, I I really hope that this isn't a thing where in two years the United States is scrambling for a head coach uh, and, and hoping someone takes the position because that's how you end up with a, you know, a 2018 type of situation. And not to say they won't qualify for the 2026 World Cup, but, um, you know, I, I think uh, it's a long process, but it's important to have a manager in place for all four years. Introducing the new coach, Jesse Marsh. <laughs> I am curious if they don't bring back Greg what do they look at? Do they look for another American coach or do they look for just the best coach available, right? Regardless of nationality. So it's going to be very, very curious to see what they do. Uh, Cause it really does have an importance, right? Like whoever you put in place, if you move on from Greg, they have this entire cycle to build for 26. And there isn't sort of the, the, the difficulties of world cup qualifying, right? You already are qualified. So you don't even have that to prep you. So it, it puts so much more pressure on other tournaments and other friendlies to prepare you for that. So, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do. Uh, I do agree that it's time to move on from Greg. I just, for some reason, I get the feeling they don't. Um, it's it's very fair to have that concern because you're right. You can look at his, his – I, I think you can make a, a good argument. If you are a Burhalter stan, you can make a really, really strong argument that he did a good job. Um, you know, if they were knocked out of the group, uh, you know, I don't think there's much of an argument for them. If they, if they did, if they kept losing to Mexico last year and, and all that, you know, you could make a really good argument that, um, you know, he, he, he's not coming through, but if you just look at results, he's done fine. And so I, I think there is a good chance they say, you know, what more could we want from him? You know, maybe when go one, one round further in the world cup, but, um, it, it's a, it's a real results versus, you know, context of every little decision he's made i i think if you look at the results they're solid but if you look into more context you can say well i don't know there's some there's some flaws here um tata martino's available maybe they, they put in the call for him. <laughs> nope not a good idea i do think jesse march is the um i i think that's the odds on favorite if i were to guess 
Um, but I am, I, I could really see an out of left field wild card, um, international manager, maybe someone who's had success at the world, uh, stage, uh, kind of just declaring interest in the job. I, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting, uh, attractive job. I don't know. I, I would hope they, they go for a big name, someone who is coached in Europe, maybe someone who's coached on the international stage. If they pluck out a manager from, you know, MLS, um, you know, if, if they go for, you know, Greg Vanny or, you know, I don't, I don't know who, you know, uh, Caleb Porter or you Bruce know, Arena, Bruce Arena. Yeah. You know, um, Jim Curtin. Oh, Jim Curtin's a good one. Oh, that'd be that'd be the move they would do. <laughs> yeah. If you, but, think, but, if you think about it. But that would drive me nuts. That would oh, drive, yeah. would, you know, you, you could you could make the argument. Hey, here's a guy who's really good coaching up young talent and get the best of them. He's got a proven track record in MLS. Um, but you know, international soccer is a different beast and, and that would concern the hell out of me if Jim Curtin, they, they put in a phone call to Jim Curtin and they replaced Burhalter with Curtin. I, I just, and that's no disrespect to Curtin, but I could absolutely see them making that type of move and not really learning anything. Yeah. You know, I think you have to have someone that has lifted trophies and has done it at the biggest stage in the world. Cause that's what the world cup is. No offense to any coach winning MLS cup, like winning MLS cup is not the same as winning champions league or as something of that level like it's just it's different you know or someone who's been who was coached a team far into the world cup um and for the united states it's just a lack of options right for american coaches that have that experience i mean even jesse marsh doesn't have that experience yet i mean you might get it with leeds united but not to that level yet right so it's the pool is very very small for american coaches so i think like an international coach would be like maybe the right fit um, but then again, you have to find someone that's relatable to the players and it, there's a whole thing, right? I feel like that they have to think about, but I don't envy the person that has to make this decision. Me neither. Me neither. It's, it's a very important decision. And as I say, I think a lot is writing on 2026, um, in terms of not just results and a, a chance to go deep, but ultimately the growth of soccer in this sport and, you know, anything less than getting out of the knockout rounds. I, I think you could say, well, if, if they didn't make it out of the group stage, you could say, well, you know, it's a young team, yada, yada, yada. You know, if you don't get out of the group stage in 2026, it's a pretty big disaster. So um, that's enough of that. That's enough of the U.S. Um, we'll close the bo- book on the World Cup. We're not going to be doing any further World Cup shows. That The United States is out. Uh, so we are going to be resuming our revs coverage uh, in the upcoming weeks. I think. I don't know when we're doing our next episode, but uh, no real news uh, on the Revs front. Um, The Revs reportedly are getting close to a contract with Bobby Wood, who was selected in the re-entry draft. Uh, The rules essentially were the Revs had to make a contract offer within seven days. They apparently have done that. Uh, And Bobby Wood and the Revs are coming close to a contract. No further details. That is from Sam Minton of the Bent Musket, by the way. Uh, But there is no other uh, real details on that contract or anything like that. So um, it'll be very interesting to see where that money lands. Uh, considering how uh, pessimistic we are on that <laughs> that acquisition, uh, as Sean and I discussed uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, Tanner, that does it here today. Uh, any other, any closing thoughts before we, we leave here? No, I just think it's, it's an exciting time for the United States. I think you saw a lot of passion. I, I think there always is a lot of passion, right, from general fans that show up for the World Cup. Um, but especially, like, in our area, you know, being – in New England, um, the, the fact that, you know, Providence and Boston was consistently one of the top markets for Fox. And we'll obviously see the ratings when they come out for this match. But I just think, I just think you can see the passion in the area. You can see the, the sport is growing, and not only in the United States, but especially in New England. I, I think it's a very, very exciting time. The next couple of years, building it to 26, it's just going to reach a pandemonium. Uh, you can feel it. You can already feel the energy, right? 
Uh, so very, very exciting to be in the sport of soccer right now. Uh, Tanner, where can people find you on social media? They can find me at Tanner Rebello on Twitter, and then uh, check out my work on trifectanetworksports.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. Also, be sure to follow our Instagram and Facebook pages, the Revolution Recap Instagram and Facebook pages. Uh, also, please make sure you rate and review us five stars uh, on iTunes or wherever you are listening to podcasts. We always appreciate those. Make sure you check out our friends, The Rebellion, uh, at The Rebellion on Twitter and go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about them and how you can become a member for 2023. Uh, and also make sure you check out our sponsor, Galasso Kits. Use our promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off your order. That is Revs, uh, or sorry, that is GalassoKits.com. Uh, and also make sure you follow them at Galasso Kits on Twitter uh, and uh, on their Galasso Kits Instagram page. If you'd like to support the show further, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash revolution recap. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks when some revs news comes our way until then. Thank you for listening and go revs. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks. That's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.